It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Fortsanopoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast about a Tanopoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. I'm very pleased to welcome our next guest. He is a Serie A commentator on the World Feed and he's called quite a few Napoli games, so Napoli fans will definitely recognize his voice, even if they might not recognize his name. Patrick Kendrick, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, excited to, to be on the podcast. Uh, thank you for coming on. I, I want to pick your brain a little bit about being a football commentator and, and how that's changed in the last year or so. Um, I also want to get your thoughts on Napoli season thus far. It's been another dramatic one. And on Sedia in general, which has been fantastic, I imagine, especially for, for someone in your profession. Um, but before we get to all of that, I think it's safe to say that football commentating is, and sports broadcasting in general is a fairly niche profession. Uh, so I'm curious to know, Patrick, how you became a football commentator in the first place. It was quite a long road, to be honest. I mean, it's something I, I'd wanted to do for a while. Uh, it was probably during my teenage years that I thought I want to be a football commentator. And then it was a case of finding out how to do it. I mean, so my teenage years, probably about when I was 14, 15. So we're talking about the, the turn of the new millennium. Um, and there wasn't much information out there. I didn't really, you know, had the internet at home, but there wasn't a big thing to go Googling and, and there was no Twitter or anything like that. So it was quite hard to actually, you know, these days you can just follow all of your favorite commentators and you can get a really good insight into what's going on, but there wasn't much information out there at all. So I took a more conventional route of studying languages at university. And then when I got to university, I remember watching a program we have in, in England called Match of the Day, which shows all the Premier League highlights on a Saturday night. And I seem to recall at the, the tail end of one episode, they advertised this scheme 
um, soccer site. It was a, a scheme between the, the Royal National Institute of the Blind and the BBC, who had come together to, uh, to create this partnership to in- improve inclusivity at, uh, at football grounds, really, for blind and partially sighted supporters who wanted to go along to the stadium, but felt they couldn't really necessarily uh, have much access to the game and what was going on because they didn't feel represented. So they wanted more audio description services. Um, so there was a competition to see uh, if they could come up with and an, an unearth some, some new young commentators. I didn't win it, but I, as part of that, I got invited onto a training day, did a bit of training. And it was, it was a long process, to be honest. That was, there were several near misses along the way. It wasn't until I was doing my master's degree to become a, a conference interpreter that I thought I'll have one last crack at this and I got back in touch with the RNIB the scheme had been discontinued but I started doing some uh, hospital radio broadcasting for um, Bristol City I was doing my masters in Bath in the west of England Bristol City was the uh, the nearest club that had that service and I just started doing some uh, some hospital radio for them and then two to three months later I started doing commentary in London on a, a watch and bet service, so uh, you know an online platform. Really, if, if you were to go on some betting sites now, occasionally you get the the little pop up with the screen and the commentary. And I started doing that in French and Italian. Funnily enough, you know, two languages I spoke, and uh, the ambition was always to do it in English. And eventually, I always say the the, the big irony is. I got pigeonholed as an Italian commentator in England, despite being English, and I had to move to Italy to actually commentate in English. Yeah, that's hilarious. You mentioned that when you were starting up there weren't that many resources i mean now as you said there's there's tons of resources and and you're actually one of them that's how i came across uh, some of your other work besides obviously knowing you're you're commentating from from watching sedia we get the world feed in canada so i do i do hear you i know some of my colleagues in the us don't get that privilege um so i wanted to talk about your youtube channel because it, it's a great resource thank you in addition to just being a football commentator you mentioned conference interpreting and, and there are plenty of plenty of videos on there and I, I find for me as someone who does podcasting there are a lot of transferable tips or pointers that you can get out of that really anyone that does presentation in general right um, especially if you're doing something live uh, so why don't you just take a minute and, and talk a little bit about the youtube channel for for anyone that hasn't seen it yet Thank you very much. It's always nice to publicize. The YouTube channel, uh, the genesis of that really was um, this time last year, March of, well, we're not quite in March, but I guess it was March 2020 when, you know, everything went on with the pandemic and, and, and our lives changed from one day to the next. And it was, you know, bouncing off the walls. What am I going to do with myself? Work dried up because Serie A ground to a halt. And um <laughs> And it was trying to fill my days. You know, I did a bit of English teaching online with this website called italki, but like anything that's worth doing, it takes a while to build that up. And uh, it was just trying to find things to do during the day so as not to go crazy. I mean, I've always been quite a big reader, but I couldn't even focus on, on fiction, nonfiction, whatever it was. I just, I had no attention span whatsoever. I got sick of looking at my computer and my phone and I thought, okay, well, let's let's do some interviews. And I started doing some interviews with... Um, with people I know in football who I've been fortunate enough to to get to know over the years, either journalists or ex-pros or other people working in the media, whatever it may be. And since then, it's sort of um, evolved into me talking more about my experiences and trying to add value and trying to share a few tips and whatever I've been able to glean along the way over the last few years. And there is a lot of crossover, as you said. I think my channel tries to look at 
topics related to football languages because that's really where the two areas of my career they've straddled those two different topics and um it's it's just a good way of me staying sharp in terms of doing some on-screen work since I haven't been doing too much of that recently and hopefully you know being able to lend some of my advice and also I I don't think it was a conscious process but given what we started talking about you know how I was first became a commentator and didn't really know where to look for tips and and tricks and things I think probably uh, on an unconscious level that's another of the reasons why I did the YouTube channel um so it's I try and do a video a week. It's easier said than done on occasions. They typically go out on a Wednesday or Thursday um, because my weeks are, are normally pretty busy Friday through to Tuesday. And then unless I'm doing something in, in Europe uh, or, or otherwise, Wednesday and Thursdays tend to quieten down a bit. But uh, no, I'm just enjoying it. It's like it's, it's a hobby. Um, it's a good, honest, wholesome indoor hobby in this very strange period you know ordinarily I'd, I'd love to go out for dinner and see friends or play sport but you know a lot of those opportunities have denied us now and i know that people are at home and they're watching content and hopefully if they are choosing to consume my stuff then they come away having learned something or at least having been entertained or or you know find it interesting i hope yeah it, it definitely isn't and likewise with with the podcast that was a similar situation where i was I need to find a way to fill time. I have passion about a, about Napoli, and I figured, why not let my thoughts be heard? You mentioned um, interviews with with footballers, and there was one you did that I particularly enjoyed because I'm in Toronto, and, and you interviewed Danny DiCchio, who's a, a bit of a club legend with us, even though he was he was only with us for a couple of years, didn't score a boatload of goals, but he scored our first, which you mentioned at the end of that interview, our first red card as well, which he's quite fond of. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we actually have a chant uh, that we sing on the 24th minute of every match because he scored in the you know 23 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, so we, we sing in tribute to Danny Dicchio. So I enjoyed that one. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Um, I didn't and I had that. no idea also when I, when I watched that interview that he was pursued by Napoli in the, in the mid mid nine, mid to late nineties before he ultimately signed with Sampdoria. So that was, that was really cool. Anyhow, I, I don't want to spoil too many of the videos cause I, I want everyone to go and subscribe and check no, out. This, this is great publicity. Go on and uh, <laughs> subscribe and watch the videos and like and comment and all of that call of call to action. I can never do too many calls to action. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So I'll, I'll ask you about one specific video and uh, which is a pretty simple one. If, if you were to give, aspiring commentators or podcasters or presenters three tips on you know what they should focus on getting into into commentating let's say uh, what three tips would you give them i think there are so many opportunities out there now in terms of you don't necessarily have to get someone else's permission you know you've started a podcast i've started a youtube channel um if people are interested in what you have to say then you can certainly start by doing that and maybe you only get two or three views initially or three or four downloads if it's a podcast but gradually you will find your audience and people will be interested and you can have people engaging with you um so that's that's the first step i would suggest but i think it's it's like anything it's getting practice it's yeah. being true to yourself in terms of how you are as a broadcaster you know if, you, if you're not someone that likes to make loads of jokes then maybe don't try and be really funny on your podcast or if you do have a very infectious sense of humor, don't feel that you have to rein it in because you have to be more serious because you have to come across as what is perceived as professional. So try and get to grips with who you are first. Try and find your voice and your style. 
um, and just work on on speaking publicly, be it when you're recording a podcast, whether you're streaming live, uh, talking to other people, conducting interviews. You, you need to get used to speaking spontaneously, improvising, talking off the cuff, uh, and all sorts of things like that. I mean, there's a lot of times during my job when we have to when we have to fill really. Um, you know, when maybe a team comes out for the second half, and I might be sent live again with the uh, with the first team out, and then the other team might take another two minutes, and it's a case of okay, well, I've got to talk now, and I've got to recap what's gone on in the first half. I've got to. Uh, find some interesting talking points to keep people engaged ahead of the second half. I've got to try and sell what's coming up to them. So I think use the internet and the tools that are available to you. Scour the internet for all of the resources that are out there. I think there are almost overnight, there went from being no podcasts on football commentary. There's probably about six or seven. I did a video about that as well, actually, which is it's amazing the resources out there and you can have wonderful access to people. So I think if you just want to be a sports journalist or, or more specifically a commentator, it's a case of um, even just watch matches at home, mute the matches, get a, uh, you don't even need a dictaphone or anything like that anymore. Every, everyone can do it with a smartphone. Just record yourself and uh, and just, just talk about the game and, and try and mimic as well what you're hearing. Okay. And try and analyze the style of commentary. What are they saying? How are they saying it? When are they saying it? How much are they saying? Why are they going silent there? Why are they only saying the names when they could be saying more? You know, and really try and get an insight into what it is commentators are doing uh, and try and figure out which commentators you like and why. And if you can try and emulate, albeit not imitate what they do, then, then that's certainly um, a good place to start, I would suggest. That's fantastic advice. One of the videos you made was about calling matches in person versus off tube. I'm not going to ruin the magic, so I won't get into the details, but uh, we're living in unprecedented times right now. So I'm curious to know how COVID has impacted the way you do your job. COVID has impacted our jobs um, stylistically, first and foremost, um, in the sense that Football commentary is so much about the fans and the stadium atmosphere and, and really tapping into that and harnessing that or leveraging that, as, as the Americans might say, um, on the basis that the crowd and the atmosphere do so much for you. The, the ambient noise, the, the noise coming from the stadium. And we don't really have that anymore with, with no fans there. So whereas before, if you're up with play, you could just shout... Bertens or something like that, or Insignia, whoever it may be, Petania, my personal favourite, and we'll get on to that anyway. Uh, <laughs> rather than just calling a name like that and then letting the crowd noise do the rest and hearing that roar of, of the Maradona, the San Paolo, um, and then pausing and then thinking about what you're going to say and then trying to add to it. We don't really, I can't do that to the same extent anymore. And there's almost case of having to speak more because you might even have to cover up for some bad language. I mean, Lukaku scored in the in the derby the other day, managed to swear first in English and then in Italian. So he, he definitely knew his audience on that, on that score. So it's definitely changed stylistically, I think. As you said, off-tube has been a reality for a while. Off-tube commentary is when you commentate from a studio and a monitor as opposed to doing it from a, a broadcast booth, as, as people call it in North America, or a press box or a gantry in Europe. Um, and, and that changes things as well. So naturally, in terms of your, you only got a monitor to go off as opposed to the whole perspective of the ground. 
but I think the big change has been for me stylistically, uh, it's been having to speak more than I ordinarily would do. All the feedback I've ever been given is less is more. You're, you're speaking too much. Speak less. The goal's gone in. Just keep quiet. And I actually heard a very good anecdote earlier on today, um, whilst whilst recording actually a YouTube video from from a colleague working in Japan. So stay tuned for that one. And he said that he spoke to to Clive Tilsley, the ITV commentator, who when he did the 1999 Champions League final when Manchester United scored their second goal he actually put his arm across the mouth of his co-commentator, Ron Atkinson, when the goal went in, as if to say, just let the crowd noise do a bit. And and there's a famous goal, Sergio Aguero, when Manchester City won the league. I think Martin Tyler goes quiet for nine seconds. I think it can become almost too formulaic. I've noticed in the US, they'll call a goal and then they'll just have pause for four, five, six seconds. I don't know if they've got a producer over talkback saying to them, quiet, 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 quiet. Maybe that. I think it's, again, it's a sort of cultural stylistic thing. But I would say the positive of the no fans thing, and this is the only positive, is having an insight into what people are saying. So I've been, I've been really milking that, um, the fact I speak Italian and, uh, and, and obviously the other side of my job is as a simultaneous interpreter. So I am able to, to, to very quickly translate what they're saying, which has been good. I, I really enjoyed a spat last season in Bergamo between Gasparini and Mihailovic, you know, neither of those are particularly shy and retiring figures. And, uh, but it's, it's been great. Occasionally you, you do have, uh, you do hear things that you're not exactly sure whether to apologize for, because you're aware that a portion of the, of the audience might speak Italian, but then most of them don't. And even then what I'm hearing very clearly in my headset is not necessarily coming across very clearly once it's mixed at the other end. So do I apologize for it? In theory, I should, but then by doing that, I'm drawing attention to the fact that someone's swearing. So you've got all sorts of things going through your mind um, when this is happening. But yes, the in terms from a technical perspective, from a logistical standpoint, the big change of COVID has been with domestic broadcasters here. I spoke to a colleague from DAZN and he said, we have made a conscious decision to do a lot more games off tube on the basis that we don't, the technology allows for it. We think it's unnecessary travel uh, and we don't want to put our journalists at risk because if one of them gets infected, then maybe we, we lose half of our workforce and it's it's just not good practice, really. So that's been the case in Italy. I know it's been the case in England as well with a lot of um, radio broadcasters and radio is very rarely done off tube simply because you need as much information as possible. And because you have to speak more, generally it's done from, from the ground, whereas TV broadcasting can be a lot more it's a lot more common to have off tube commentary so those those are the big changes and we're still grappling with it and who knows when we're going to have supporters back and i've noticed even in terms of the energy and the emotion and the power of my voice i think i'm a bit more subdued and low-key than i than i used to be and it's something i consciously try and work on but i think unfortunately there's only so much you can do and so much of the job is, is feeding off what the crowd is giving you and what the players are giving you and, and, and everything like that. Yeah, and I find, I don't know if this is something you do intentionally, not you, I mean, football commentators in general do intentionally, is I feel like you're now almost simulating the excitement created by the crowd with how you commentate on after a goal is scored and using a higher pitch and, and the tones you're using and things like that. Is that, is that something that is a conscious effort or is, is that just you're projecting the excitement of, of a goal being scored in a match? 
I think that's an excellent point. I think that's always been true to a certain extent. You try and we used to have to sort of battle against the crowd noise and made sure that we could rise above it so that people can actually hear what we're saying. So that was one challenge. Now we have the opposite challenge, as you said, because maybe a goal goes in and it's all very eerily quiet. And you, you have to, it's one thing having, keeping your voice up and full of emotion and energy when the goal goes in or when the, the move is building towards a climax. It's another to actually maintain that level for two or three lines afterwards, talking over the replays and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think that's the real challenge. And by doing that, you're also helping your colleagues in, in post-production who actually cut the highlights because maybe they don't like what you necessarily said the first time. But if, if I get very excited initially and, you know, and I say, what a finish by Lozano. And then the next line after that, I'm like, he just curled it into the corner, then you can't really use that second line. So I have to stay up all the time. Napoli take the lead. It's a fabulous goal from Lozano. Got away from his marker, headed it into the far corner. And I have to constantly keep that voice up, keep the energy there, keep the viewer engaged and keep talking over the replays. Yeah, so it's it's a slight, it is it is a conscious effort. Yeah, that's, and I think that's a great question. I hadn't been asked that before. No. Well, you're doing a fantastic job, so keep it up. I mean, Thank I, you. I'm listening to your broadcast. Uh, I'll pivot a little bit. I, I wanted. I thought it would be fun to give you uh, some stats on on your commentary. <laughs> I know you're not really a huge. I'm 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 a bit of a numbers guy. I don't get too much into things like XG and advanced metrics. Um, Nor me. But, Good. But, okay. Yeah, but let me give you some that I think you'll find some of these fun. You might even know a couple of them. So you've called 52 matches already this season, including wow. uh, all competitions. Uh, that includes, I think you did the uh, Supercoppa Primavera with uh, Fiorentina Atalanta. I did, yeah. I don't know if that includes the the matches I did as well with the Nations League in London, or are we just doing... No, so I only looked at Serie A teams, um, mm. so it wouldn't include anything outside of club football, I guess you could say. No problem, okay. Um, 43 of those matches were Serie A matches. Okay. Uh, and because I apparently have way too much time on my hand, I... I tallied up how many minutes you've called, including stoppage time. So that's you've done 4,167 minutes. Wow. Um, that does not include pre and post match comments. Blimey. Okay. Actual game time. Uh, so you're already over 4,000, and we're just past the halfway point. Uh, you've called 124 goals. Any idea who, who has scored the most goals in, in matches you've called? Uh, I've probably probably got a fair idea to be honest because I'm actually just thinking I've done a lot of Roma I probably think it would be Mkhitaryan has done has scored the most goals he's, he's up there he's got four okay uh, done a I lot of each thing I, I must yeah. have done someone that's that scored a hat-trick I suppose um those Atalanta boys tend to score a lot as well uh I did a lot of Napoli I don't know. I'm curious to find out. So the other Nerazzurro, it's the it's uh, your top two are Lukaku and, and Lautaro Martinez. Uh, okay, Lukaku. well that's a good sign. I mean, if if it's ever winning the league, it would be nice to have to have said that I've. Oh uh, yeah, of course, Lautaro scored the hat trick against Crotone, yeah. and uh, yeah, okay. And and then when you mentioned earlier that some, somehow you mentioned uh, Patania. He's yeah. only got four goals in, in Serie A this season, and you've called three of them, which I find uh, that's right. Funny. Yeah. Um, so, Benevento, 
and uh, Spezia, and I can't I can't recall the other one offhand, but uh, yeah, either Crotone or Cagliari score, but that was my colleague doing that. So uh, yeah, no, okay, that's that's fascinating to know that. I need to yeah. uh, figure out how many hours that is on the mic. I mean, the minutes. I guess you just divide it by sixty, but uh, sounds like it sounds like the watch time I need on my YouTube channel to uh, to be eligible for monetization. <laughs> if I can somehow channel that, but uh, no, that's that's a joke. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so speaking of Napoli games, uh, I hate to bring it up, but you don't exactly have the best track record. Napoli fans <laughs> don't don't seem to do well when you call the games. They've got uh, four wins and and five losses. If you, I think you did the, the uh, Super Copa. I did. I as did. Well, right? mm-hmm. um, but and and even the wins were not great performances. Benevento, Bologna, uh, Sampdoria, Udinese. I want to say. Yes. So, but I mean. It is what it is. We've seen how Napoli seen as good. I'm certainly not blaming you, <laughs> um, but I, I'm curious to know since you've called so many Napoli games. I, I think in Serie A, you've Inter and Napoli are the two you've, you've right. called the most. Um, so you've spent a lot of time watching them play. You uh, you do a ton of preparation mm. heading into your your matches. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on on how the season has gone so far and and what you are expecting for for the balance of the season. I mean, I'll start with the goalkeeping position. I've never understood this duopoly between uh, Meret and and Ospina. I think Gattuso would have been would have been wise to have chosen one from the outset and stuck with them. Uh, you know, you can have a goalkeeper for the cup competitions. We've seen that these days. But when he's sort of flip flopping between the two keepers in the league. I'm not a big fan of that, and I find Meret tends to do well when he gets a run of games. I actually think Ospina is a lot better than many football followers and Napoli fans give him credit for. But I don't think that situation has helped. I don't understand that. I'm sorry, I'm going to start with a few sort of question marks as opposed to mm-hmm. negatives. I don't understand the treatment of Amir Rahmani. I did lots of Verona last season. He, along with Kumbula and Gunter, to a lesser extent, was brilliant. He's the captain of Kosovo, you know, and they're a really emerging nation now in UEFA. I don't understand why he why he waited so long to give him his debut. I can only think there must be something going on there off the pitch or something he didn't like the way he trained or something like that. I mean, the the big plus point of Napoli is I think Gattuso knows his best 11. And I think most of the fans would know that. Maybe there's a question mark about left back. Probably need to go and get another left back, I would suggest. But beyond that, once you solve the goalkeeping conundrum, I mean, the rest of the team really picks itself. Di Lorenzo and Manolas and Koulibaly and then... It's a strange one because in that 4-2-3-1, Bakayoko, I thought he made a brilliant start to the season. Recently, he's been all over the place, to be perfectly frank. With the 4-3-3 that they've gone to recently, Dem has been better, but there's there's just not been enough consistency. Now, some of that is not Gattuso's fault in the sense that Napoli did have a really unfortunate three-month period with COVID cases and injuries and losing a lot of key players. But then again... You know, Milan were without Chanelolu for a while. They were without Teo Hernandez for a while. They were without Ibrahimovic for a while. You know, everyone has had setbacks to a greater or lesser extent. And I don't think... I've, I looked at the Napoli squad and I thought they've got a really deep squad. I think there's two players per position. And there were so, so many eye-catching results. You just thought, well, can they become as consistent as they used to be with Sarri? Because... If you get 90 points this season, you walk to the title. And it's just it just hasn't happened. And I can't really fathom why, because there was a spell, particularly in 2021, I think it's seven defeats now across all competitions. And um, 
you just can't really understand it because they'd go from winning quite comfortably to then losing the next game and then you it's all doom and gloom and then they suddenly win that game but the the warning signs are there now it's it's quite concerning with the with the loss in the super cup and then you can't really legislate for those defeats against teams like Spezia and Genoa but it, but it's worrying for Napoli because they need to finish in the top four. That was the that was the, the chief target. But I find it really hard to put my finger on it. As you said, I do them a lot. I have done them a lot. I've got some good contacts there. I spend a lot of time in the city. I've met the coach. I've interviewed the coach. I'm, I, I like the way the club is run, more or less. The players are very happy living in that city. There's not much pressure because the fans aren't there. Maybe that's counting against them. Maybe having that fervent public that fervent crowd in inside the San Paolo, now Maradona, as we should call it, is what's missing. But you can't you can't simply put it down to that on the basis that it's something that's affecting all teams. None of these situations or circumstances are unique to Napoli. So Gattuso and his players have to find a way of being able to cope as well, if not better than their rivals with these circumstances. Otherwise, they're going to finish seventh. And if you finish seventh, then you have a really early start to the season with Europa League playoffs and we'll see um i don't know when this podcast is going out but uh if napoli come back to beat granada and go through to the round of 16 of the europa league the whole season gets a lift and maybe then they start to get some momentum but i mean if there's one player you miss more than anyone it's dries mertens it's just mm-hmm. i mean leave aside the fact he's the all-time leading goal scorer for the club it's it's his versatility you know you can put him left in that as, as a wide forward, that four-three-three. Latterly in his career, he's been that that false nine or the centre forward. We've seen him at number ten this season when it was the four-two-three-one. You miss a player like that so much. I, I think Lozano's been the best player this season, which is credit to Gattuso for getting the best out of him because last season he he hadn't really settled. And the other one is I think Osimen's season has been emblematic of of Napoli's campaign as a whole. You look at Osimen's struggles and you see Napoli's struggles. You know, unfortunately, big expectations because there's a big fee. Napoli unwittingly created big expectations themselves by beating Atalanta 4-1, by beating Genoa 6-0 right at the start of the season. Everyone was scoring, everyone was contributing. You know, it looked like the, the glory days again under Sarri, and then it's not quite happened. But to me, the biggest low of the season for me was not the Spezia game, it was the Sassuolo game. Because yeah. Sassuolo were doing well, admittedly, at that stage of the season. For, up until Christmas, they were very much in, in touch with the with the top six. I think they're going to end up comfortably eighth. They'll probably have a bit of a cushion below uh, ahead of the sides below them and a bit of a cushion between them and the top seven. But that was a Sassuolo side that was missing Juricic, uh, Berardi, Caputo and Boga. I think mm-hmm. they played Raspadori. I can't even remember who they played in the in the in the front four four positions. But it was it was Sassuolo minus all of their attacking talents, and yet they still managed to beat Napoli, and quite convincingly so as well. And it was good from De Zerbi, Don't get me wrong, but I thought Napoli should have. I thought they should have steamrolled Sassuolo that day because I don't think Sassuolo are that strong defensively. So when I saw that result in those circumstances, I thought, you know what. I don't think it's going to be Napoli's year this year either. And it's a shame because the Coppa Italia, that two-legged tie with Atalanta was there for the taking. You know, you have to do more in the first leg. I know everyone is fearful of Atalanta these days. We saw it against Real Madrid. Atalanta are now feared not only domestically, but in Europe. But in a two-legged tie, you need to take the initiative 
in that first leg, whether you're home or away, especially if you're at home. We saw it at Juventus, they won at San Siro, and the second leg was just null and void, essentially. It was a nothing game. Whereas Atalanta hadn't scored an away goal, but they said, okay, goal is draw in Naples. We back ourselves to beat Napoli at home. And they did so, convincingly. You you touched on it. You had a great line in, in one of our games where you compared Napoli to the proverbial box of chocolates and, and never knowing what you're going to get, right? And it's it's a, a line about inconsistency, which has been a bit of a theme with us. And that Sassuolo match feels like it, it's a worse and worse result as the season progresses, because at least at the time, Sassuolo started off really well, and they've fallen off in the last little while. They've dropped down to the eighth place. As you mentioned, there's a little bit of a, a gap between those top seven and, and the next tier you've you've hit on a lot of points that as someone that interacts with Napoli fans quite a bit on social media mm-hmm. and, you know for the most part at least the fans that I interact with want to see Medet start on a regular basis we view yeah. him as the future keeper he's young he was at going into the season considered probably the number two definitely at least the number three for the Azzurri um, left back is certainly a, a glaring weakness for us uh, whether that's on Juntoli or or whether De Laurentiis didn't want to spend more after spending the big fee on really the last two big transfers with Osimen and Lozano. I completely agree on the loss of Mertens. And, and I think Osimen's struggles since returning to the squad are largely the result of Mertens not being there to support him in that, that 10 spot. And and the fact that we we don't really we're kind of using him the way we used Patania, where we're using him as a bit of a hold-up player, whereas in those opening games you mentioned, the Genoa match, the the win over Atalanta, we were playing long over the top and letting him use his pace and run onto that ball. Absolutely. Um, and then getting the support. Obviously, you know, the lineup has been impacted with all these these injuries, and it's kind of now our starting 11. You look at, at these games against Granada and Atalanta, the starting 11 is basically dictated by the injuries. I, I've read this morning that we're possibly, we're recording this on Thursday before the, the Granada second leg, and that we may be lining up in a 3-4-1-2 for this game because we don't wow. have a healthy starting uh, center forward. Uh, Mertens is back, but he'll probably be on the bench and maybe get 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so that's kind of dictating the formation that, that Gattuso has to use. But on the flip side, when we were healthier, every team, as you said, has had injuries. But when we were healthier, I don't feel that Gattuso rotated enough. And I, I hate to to say it, but I, I did think Lozano was going to get hurt because he was just playing every game. I think he had seven or eight consecutive matches playing every three days. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for a, a muscle injury. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been it's been a, a crazy season. I want to get your thoughts on on Serie A in general. I mentioned at the top that it must be great for someone who calls football games to have such a competitive league. It's probably been over a decade since Serie A has been this competitive. So how much fun has that been for you? Oh, it's it's been wonderful. As you said, it's it's nine years in a row that that Juventus have won the league. I think there's a lot of appetite for someone else to win it. And that's not being anti-Juventus in any way, shape or form. I think it's good for the neutral and we as commentators are are the first neutral, if that makes sense. Uh, as to who that could be, I now get the sense that if Juventus aren't to win the league, there's only one team that can stop them and that's Inter. Uh, and they need to maintain that cushion as, as long as possible and they need to avoid defeat when they go to Turin 
um, for that match against Juventus, that would give them a better head-to-head record and that would keep Juve at bay. I think if Juventus were able to win by a two-goal margin there and somehow over or three-goal margin overturn the head-to-head, I think I expect Juventus to go on a run now. I expect them to go through against Porto. I'm very curious to see what Milan do this coming weekend away at Roma, a Roma side that I did last weekend. They were tepid against Benevento. I was due to be doing uh, Napoli Benevento, but I've been swapped on to Sampdoria Atalanta. So uh, you Napoli fans can rejoice about that. Although the reverse fixture was a great game, as you as you recalled earlier, Pitania getting the winner, but both Insigne brothers scoring, which was, it was like someone just handed me a script and said, there's the job done for you. Um, but it is, it's been a wonderful season. And I think I, I was comparing it recently to Serie A in, in the late 90s when we had what was called Les Sete Sorelle, the Seven Sisters. And, and back then it was Palmer and Fiorentina. They've now been replaced really by Napoli and, and Atalanta. But it's great. You know, the, the two Milan clubs, first and second, Juventus now coming back into things. The two Rome clubs are doing well. Uh, and then you've got Napoli and Atalanta sort of big one city teams. You know, the support in Bergamo is fantastic. The support in Naples, as you know, is, is brilliant too. Um, and so there are some great storylines, but then also, you know, Spezia have come into the league and impressed and, and trying to play football in a certain way. Um, Sassuolo continue to entertain, albeit slightly inconsistently. Um, Ellis Verona are great to watch. There are a lot of good teams in the league and it's fascinating, even down at the bottom. I mean, who would have seen that happen with, uh, Di Francesco won three out of his first seven with Cagliari and then none of the next 16 and he's gone. Uh, so, you know, now we've got to change simply. She's come back into the league, having not been in it since his time with Spal. Nicola's got Torino playing again. They're unbeaten since he started. Uh, it looks very difficult for Crotone, which is one thing, you know, coming up from Serie B. Kyle Krauss, the American, bought Palmer, and that's not worked out despite huge recruitment. And he seems committed to the project. He's talking about refurbishing the Tardini. I mean, there are just storylines wherever you look. It's very hard to find a game that doesn't have something riding on it. And that will change over the next few weeks when that mid-table uh, setup becomes more established. And, and, uh, but that's true of any league. But it's, it's really exciting. I, I think you could throw a blanket at the moment over the, the teams from three down to seven. I, th- I still think Napoli could, could comfortably finish top four. They have to win the game in hand, which is against Juventus, lest we forget. But there's there's so much scope for things to happen now. You know, a knock-on effect of Napoli losing if they are to... They might even win that second leg against Granada, but still go out. And if that happens, then suddenly they've got one game a week, like Inter, which has been talked up so much. Roma are in the box seat, 1-2-0 against Braga. They should go through. Milan drew, nil, uh, drew 2-2 in, in Serbia. They should get the job done against Red Star. Atalanta will wait and see. But it, it looks like... Napoli and, and Inter might be the only two that find themselves, possibly along with Atalanta, that might find themselves out of Europe. And then Napoli need to need to maximise that that advantage, really. And um, but it, it's so it's so interesting. And I hope it continues to be this way. Italian football tends to thrive when you have that northern triangle. I mean, Juventus 36 titles, Milan 18, Inter 18. So all of the power has been concentrated in the north, even before that, Genoa, Torino, historically. Uh, I think Bologna have nine titles as well. You know, teams winning from the south has been the exception rather than the rule. You know, Napoli, two titles, Lazio, two titles, Roma, three titles. So historically, the, the, the power is in the north. That looks like it's coming back again. We'll see what happens with Inter and the ownership. 
But I think the best thing for the league now is if we could have a four or five year period where we have Inter win it one year, Milan win it the next, and Juve win it. And then a surprise because Napoli, you know, for the first time in 35 years, win the league. And then Roma win the league for the first time since 2001. I think that would be brilliant if we could have... And that's what the Premier League has benefited from recently. Less so in the last two or three years with, with Liverpool and Manchester City. But there was that period, I think, where there were five years in a row where the same champion didn't win the league twice, you know, between United and City and Chelsea and then, and Liverpool now. But um, that's, that's what I hope happens with Serie A. It has been the most competitive season ever. And we'll see what happens as and when fans return to, to the stadium, whether it reverts to... The big clubs have big support and their home records are just unbelievable. But even then, Roma haven't had any fans all season. They've been playing better at home than they ever have. You know, sometimes those, you know, those slightly pressurised environments can, can count against it. And, and, and we know that this, it's a stereotype, but, you know, there's always a, a grain of truth in that. Some of the Southern fans have less patience than their Northern counterparts. And, and much like in Rome, they can get a bit tetchy. So too they can in Naples. Because people have got wonderful alternatives to football. You know, if you want, I don't need to, I don't need to go and suffer at, at, uh, at the Maradona when I can go and, uh, and have lunch overlooking the sea. Or I can go and have the day out in Ischia. You know, it's just they're spoiled for choice in Naples. And I think occasionally that can that can sort of count against the team there might sort of be that tendency towards lethargy towards the team you know unless the team are doing really well it's okay so okay you know i'm I'm just gonna i'm not gonna bother with napoli today and i'm gonna go and, and do something else to be honest you know maybe i'm wrong maybe that's me doing a disservice to the fan base but i think there's a bit of an element of that to be honest yeah you mentioned spezia hellas verona sassuolo interestingly all three of those coaches have been linked to Napoli now um, as potential the younger replacements. Juric is not not so young, but potential replacements for Gattuso and Atalanta. I'm hoping they go far. I'm hoping every Italian team goes far in Europe for selfish reasons, uh, not necessarily because I want them to do well in Europe. I wouldn't mind seeing that, to be perfectly honest. I'm I'm not in that boat of people that you know just hates on on opposition clubs, but. It would help Napoli if if they're playing more games, as you alluded to. I wouldn't be even as much as I want to win the Europa League. I, I recognize that's a bit of a, a long shot. And we might actually be better off getting knocked out. And have, like you mentioned, going back to playing one game a week and allowing guys to get healthy again. Um, I'll, I'll, final question. I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, you kind of alluded to it with the Seta Sorella and I think certainly Inter are the front runners to to win the league now. Milan, we'll see how they they handle this this bit of a, a stumble that they're going through right now. And you know, a lot have been a lot has been made about Pioli and and his past his past jobs and falling off. Um, mm. Juve seem to be on the rise, so I'm, I'm curious to know who your top four will be, especially that that third and fourth place. Oof. You have put me on the spot. I think I'm going to go Inter just ahead of Juventus. I think Atalanta might finish third. And I just think that Milan have done enough in terms of momentum and got enough points in the bag where they'll finish in the top four. And I think they're desperate to get back in the Champions League, which means, unfortunately, the Rome clubs and Napoli 
God, it sounds like I have a really northern southern bias. I don't at all. My girlfriend's from Naples. I used to live in Brindisi. I love the south of Italy. I just happen to live in Milan for for logistical and work reasons. But um, I have a feeling that Roma frustrate me because they're so good against the lesser teams. And then they just look like the rabbit in the headlights when they're up against. I mean, we'll see. Maybe they'll beat they'll beat Milan at home this weekend and, and prove me wrong. I feel like Lazio overachieve on the basis that they have four or five very good players. Um, and as soon as those players don't deliver or perform, they struggle. And we spent half the podcast talking about Napoli, so I don't think I need to, to dwell on that too much. But yeah, I, if I were to say it today, and maybe I'll be proved completely wrong, I would say into just ahead of Juventus, then Atalanta on the basis that they are just very convincing. Uh, and then I think Milan to, I mean, Milan fans won't be happy. Winter champions to fourth is a pretty, pretty big drop off. But uh, I, I can see it happening. Two straight defeats now. I don't necessarily see them winning at Roma. I think if they win at Roma, they can force their way right back into the title race. Uh, um, but there's no, there's no guarantee they do that. Yeah. And as you said, Roma really struggle against that, that upper tier of cl- uh, clubs. So we'll see. I'm hoping for a draw, obviously, in, in that match. But, Absolutely. <laughs> but excellent stuff. And we'll wrap it up there. You can you can hear Patrick every week calling Serie A matches on the World Feed. Uh, this weekend, you're calling Bologna-Lazio on Saturday and Sampdoria-Atalanta on Sunday. So now that the uh, the listeners have gotten to know you a little bit, they should tune in and, and hear those matches. They should, absolutely. They should tune in to watch those games. I mean, if they happen to hear me as well, then that could be a possible bonus. But uh, yeah, tune in for the football and and stay if you can stand the commentary. That's what I would say. <laughs> well, Patrick, thank you so much for uh, taking the My time. My pleasure. So that will do it for this special bonus edition of the Fortunopoly podcast. We'll be back with our regular episode in a day or two. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortunopoly Center. Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.